Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. Great episode today. We have Tahira of Hyper Ventures. She's a real player that is making things move behind the scenes of the cannabis industry. One of my favorite episodes recently. Uh, in addition to Hyper Ventures, she's also the CFO of MTech, which is a new SPAC that's merging with MJ Freeway. We get into, first of all, what a SPAC is. She also was the GM of Marley Naturals, spent a lot of time at Privateer. Great episode. I learned a ton. You're going to learn learn a ton. If you want to learn some more and you need some help with your company, please let us know. Uh, we've started a new company called Balanced Advisor, balancedadvisor.com. We're helping with video marketing, CFO operations, capital raising, deck, performa, pitch, story. If you need some help, please let us know, balancedadvisor.com. All right, guys, let's get into the episode with Tahira of Hyperventures. You're going to learn so much. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Tahira, thank you so much for joining us. Really excited to have this conversation. You do so many wonderful things in the cannabis industry and have done so many wonderful things previously. But let's start just with an easy one. What is Hyperventures? Hyperventures is a venture capital fund uh, that's dedicated to investing in ancillary cannabis businesses that operate in the legal cannabis industry. The fund has made nine investments that range from business intelligence to brands and media. Uh, and at this point, our capital is fully deployed. Got it. And take me through the analysis. I always mm -hmm. ask funds this, why mm -hmm. venture capital? Why not private equity? Where's the balance there? How, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, you know what, looking at this industry, particularly at the time that we created Hyperventures um, and the partners there, thinking about what were the needs of the industry. And really, when you think about venture capital, it addresses uh, you know, riskier type investments that are earlier stage. Uh, private equity tends to do a little bit later, a little bit more growth stage, controlling stakes. Uh, so it's really a difference in, in that. And venture capital made sense at that point in time and still continues, I think, to make sense in cannabis. But we're starting to see a bit of a shift towards your more traditional private equity structures as well as the market continues to mature. Does it make more sense in ancillary cannabis? I think that it makes sense uh, probably across the spectrum at this point to have venture capital and what you would deem private equity because a lot of the businesses have been in the space for several years and are approaching or in that growth stage versus mm -hmm. being in that early uh, you know, entrepreneurial startup stage and have established market share and what their business is and the management team. Um, so I think it applies to both. You, know, you, still, you still have businesses that are coming in on both sides of that, both ancillary and, and plant touching, cultivation, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Uh, but we're, we are also in that phase now where we're experiencing businesses that have been in the market for you know more than a year or two, which a year or two ago didn't really exist. Um, so we're starting to see that shift. I think this year in particular, we've started to sh see that shift in the market. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then more recently, you were the CFO of MTech. Can you take us through what that is a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, MTech is a special purpose acquisition company or a SAC, which is a shell company that has no operations but goes public with the intention of merging with or acquiring uh, a company using the proceeds of the SPAC's IPO. So it essentially allows public stock market investors to invest in a private equity type transaction. Uh, so MTech raised $57.5 million in January 2018 followed by its IPO on the NASDAQ. And we announced just last month in October that we are merging with MJ Freeway, which is a leading seed to sale technology provider mm-hmm. uh, and a developer of the cannabis industry's first enterprise resource planning platform. Uh, so with that, we are creating what we hope to be a larger technology platform by going utilizing the proceeds of the transaction to not only accelerate organic growth within MJ Freeway, but to pursue mergers and acquisitions of other pieces, uh, companies that are within the industry that are synergistic with this larger technology play. Got it. And so when you set up the SPAC and and you go raise money for that, is there an idea of what you're going to invest in? Uh, I mean, maybe that acquisition isn't named yet, but how much do you give investors in, in that process? So at the beginning of the process, when you're just working with a SPAC, so when we filed uh, and decided to raise money, we stated that we are focusing on ancillary cannabis businesses. We saw an opportunity uh, and a gap in the market that a lot of companies that were much more on the cultivation side and the plant touching side were able to access capital and required a lot more capital too in order to, to get the infrastructure up and running. But a lot of these ancillary businesses are what make the industry work. Um, and we saw a really interesting opportunity that there was a, a gap in them being able to raise the funds needed to accelerate growth. and matching it with this SPAC structure, which is not unique to financial markets, but unique to the cannabis industry because it really had never been applied. Uh, So when we went out to raise money, it was with the thesis that we're going to take a U.S.-based ancillary cannabis business public and then allow it to uh, you know, accelerate its growth and, and grow from there into a much larger platform. It also, um, depending on investors' risk tolerance, it allows for those who want exposure to the cannabis industry but don't necessarily want to have exposure to cannabis cultivation. Uh, it allows them to have access to that. And so it's also, you know, at the time that we were building this, uh, the market looked quite different. Uh, about a year ago, there weren't that many public cannabis companies. And still, most of the cannabis companies that are public are on Canadian exchanges, not on U.S. exchanges. So it's a limiting factor for a lot of investors, be it um, you know larger financial institutions, institutional investors, or even retail investors who maybe can't access or don't want to access uh, OTC stocks in the U.S. or CSC stocks in Canada. And why was it so important to do it on the NASDAQ? Uh, you certainly could have done it uh, in Canada, and there's a lot of examples of U.S. companies doing that. Why this strategy? We saw a really interesting opportunity to take businesses that are U.S.-based and take them public on a U.S. exchange where there is larger exposure. Uh, you have, um, you know, from a capital markets perspective, you know, you you have all of these retail investors and just access to capital. Um, you know, look at the the stocks, the handful of stocks that do trade on the Nasdaq or New York Stock Exchange, and look at how they trade versus those that are 
in Canada. You know, there is a difference there. And we also wanted a U.S. company to be listed on a U.S. exchange. And you're able to do that with an ancillary business. And obviously, uh, we can't do that with a, a business that is engaged directly in cultivation because of federal legality or illegality at this point. Uh, but it, it's different for businesses that are operating as, as more services and uh, other types of products within the industry. So, you know, from an exposure perspective, from a coverage perspective, from an investor-based perspective, we thought all of those were really great opportunities to take a business public in the U.S. versus Canada. Got it. So my knowledge of SPACs from the technology industry is that they generally support how do I put this? A little more distressed businesses, uh, the things that need a little more creative structure. Is that something that you've heard? And is that a pushback from investors? How do you, how do you answer that question? You know, the most interesting thing about SPACs that I think we experienced was that people didn't really know what they were. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, I didn't really know what they were until I started working on this. You know, it wasn't a structure that I was familiar with. And I, I come from the finance industry and, and my partners in this as well all have public markets, hedge funds backgrounds. Uh, but it was a structure that we weren't familiar with. So it's not something that I think is that is so prominent in the industry that everybody knows what it is. I mean, even when you think back to mortgage-backed securities, people didn't know what they were until they were an issue. Um, you know, and, and only those who were yep. involved in those structures really did. So the SPAC structure, it's it's the structure that's been around for decades uh, and has gone through various changes on making it much more investor-friendly and has had some restructurings to it. Um, but it really, it's not necessarily a structure that's for distressed businesses, but rather those that uh, are in industries that are emerging and maybe don't have as as many comps that you're able to value them. And so it's harder to raise money. Uh, so when you think of it from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense for cannabis mm-hmm. because that's exactly what was going on in the market and still is to some extent before the Canadian option became so prominent. There was difficulty in being able to raise larger amounts of money. You know, entrepreneurs and founders of a lot of these businesses were spending up to a year trying to raise a few million dollars, let alone you know, 10 million plus, which is what companies are needing to raise now. And obviously that that affects your day-to-day business. When you're busy fundraising, you're distracted from running your business. So there's always this push and pull that has to happen when you're going through that. So we thought that this was a, a great way to capitalize a business in one fell swoop and let them get to work as opposed to being in that constant fundraising cycle. Yep. Yeah, no, it uh, makes sense, particularly, like you said, in cannabis or an industry that sort of needs a, a little something different, right? Um, so in, in addition to the great portfolio, as well as the M-Tech stuff, you have a pretty rich consulting background with early stage startups. And I wonder, now that we're in this world of four-way reverse mergers into Canada and RTOs, how do you advise startups in the U.S. Uh, you know, that are looking at those potential outcomes? Yeah, it varies across the boards on what stage the companies are in, what are their goals. Is it fundraising, 
which is understandable because going into uh, an RTO and, and going public on an exchange does allow you to raise that money, even if it's $20 million, which you may not be able to raise in the private market. Um, so weighing those pros and cons, I mean, obviously, there there's appear to be a lot of pros for going public, but there are also cons with that that businesses need to consider. Um, in that, you know, you're you must make very extensive disclosures and you have to submit to stringent regulations. You have to go through all of those processes, you know, your financial reporting that you have to provide. Um, you must be f- fully audited, compliant. And it's not that companies are not willing to do that. It's just that most of them haven't had to go through as extensive of a process and then maintain that. Um, so it's a heavy lift. You know, there's a cost associated with that as well. There's There are probably different types of employees that you have to have on board in order to make sure that you can sustain that element of it. So it really changes the way that the business is run. Um, you're also subject to market pressures, you know, that can often, uh, unfortunately, compel companies to focus on short-term results and start instead of the longer-term ones because you're playing, you're constantly watching your stock price and you're getting real-time market feedback. And some companies, that's great, and they can really thrive in that environment. And for some companies, they're just not ready or they find that they're not ready once they get into that stage. So you really have to weigh those different options. Um, obviously, by going public, you know, the the biggest benefit is that you're able to raise uh, a larger, much larger amount of capital than you would privately. Uh, and that can fund your R&D and, and pay expenses and debt and it can accelerate your growth. Um, but it you know, comes at a cost and I think businesses really need to weigh that. There's also the thought of, you know, do you go independently? Do you go IPO? Do you uh, allow yourself to merge with another company to be acquired there? Um, And in those stages, I think that it's interesting for businesses to just think about what are their goals as a business? Are they, you know, is their biggest goal to create shareholder value for their current shareholders? Does that happen through an acquisition or do they feel that they could build it to a certain level themselves? Is it to provide an exit? for their current investors or for themselves as founders who've been you know, grinding on these businesses for years. Um, and so there are different scenarios there as well on, on what do you value at that time? What's your priority? Yeah, very well said. I think it's as much as a personal decision for the founder. What do you want your life to look like? What do you want the next few years to look like as, as anything else? But it uh, sounds like good advice. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the hyperventure strategy. Well, first of all, how much time do you balance? How do you sort of balance your time? You do so many things. What's your day look like today? How, how are you allocating? Uh, today is a day that is probably a good and a bad example in that I am spending some time uh, on a board call with one of our portfolio companies from HyperVentures. I have several meetings that are M-Tech related, uh, dealing with anything from investor conversations to public relations and investor relations. And Vegas is coming up next week, so there's a lot of work to go in around our, our scheduling there. And um, you know, and then I also have uh, some of my consulting clients that I'll spend a little bit of time with uh, later in the day. So any day can kind of vary. Most of my time uh, the last couple of months has been focused on MTech 
and the MJ Freeway merger, uh, just getting through the various audits, not only financial, but we did legal and technology, uh, working on the merger agreement itself, now going through the filing process uh, to get to close. So all of those have, have been pretty time consuming. And then once we announced the merger, going through uh, investor meetings, fielding all of those uh, conversations, and there's a new interest in the company and the opportunity, so engaging in that. Um, so that that has been a pretty uh, time-consuming part of my schedule. And then, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows from there. Our portfolio companies with HyperVentures have all hit this stage where they are in various growth phases. And so uh, as a team, some of us have board seats with the various companies. Some of us are more active in uh, various companies, you know, divide and conquer. So it just depends on what's going on uh, for the companies as well and, and where we can be helpful. Got it. Makes sense. You sound very, very busy, but all very <laughs> exciting things. Yeah, it's fun. So after the merger is done, it, will there be other transactions under MTech like this? The goal is to create uh, a larger holding company that mm-hmm. has a variety of technology-based platforms that work together. So MJ Freeway is our anchor. It will be a wholly owned subsidiary of the Holdco, uh, which we'll be announcing soon what that company name is. Um, and MTech itself, because it's a SPAC that essentially dissolves, it goes away once mm-hmm. the transaction closes and then a new entity will take its place as the holding company. And then from there, we will look to do M&A. So there's an amount that is allocated and uh, for MJ Freeway to pursue its organic growth. And they actually completed a Series C fundraise for $10 million in August. Uh, so they're capitalized from that perspective as well, in addition to the capital that MTech will be providing to them. Um, so with that, you know, there's an opportunity to use both cash and our public stock currency as ways to produce, pr- pursue M&A. Um, and thinking about businesses that are you know, immediately accretive, that makes sense, that will provide value for customers uh, pretty quickly. So other technology solutions that serve different types of clients within the broader network uh, that MJ Freeway serves. You know, it's MJ Freeway serves clients that are, you know, all the way from cultivation through to sales. Um, But there are other businesses that really focus on very specific verticals within that that can be uh, really strong fits for MJ Freeway. Uh, We also think a lot about data. MJ Freeway has tracked over $10 billion worth of sales since inception of the company. So they have uh, a wealth of data that they've used to benefit their current clients, but haven't uh, gone beyond that and have been waiting for the right opportunity to build that. So the, the CEO and the team there are constantly going through a build versus buy analysis based on who's in the market, based on what information they have. So we'll continue to do that. Uh, we do have to wait until the deal closes before we're able to pursue those. Uh, but you know, we have a strategy that we've been working on and, and thinking about what makes sense and in what timeline. Mm-hmm. And how does that impact hyperventures? I, I would imagine some of that deal flow that would have gone there is now sort of being focused on this M&A activity. Uh, is there overlap there? What, what happens there? 
so the entities are unrelated besides the fact that you have overlap from those of us who are part of Hyperventures and, mm-hmm. and MTech. Uh, but there will, I'm sure that there are companies within the Hyperventures portfolio that makes sense for MJ Freeway and the new entity to look at just given the fact that it's technology. There are many technology companies and regulatory compliance, business intelligence, those are all things we'll look at. So we'll I mean we'll look at the broad landscape. There are dozens of companies that are really interesting and have strong leadership teams. Um, and you kinda have to evaluate everything in its own silo. Uh, so you know we'll definitely look at that. There are other great companies that are not in the hyperventures portfolio that we certainly want to focus on as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the more recent ones is LeafWire, um, mm-hmm. which I have a ton of requests for connections on LeafWire, this sort of new network that's just popped up for me. Um, tell me a little bit about what you loved there and, and why we need a, a dedicated you know network for, for cannabis like that. Yeah, you know, um, when we were thinking about different opportunities and where there are gaps that are in the marketplace, you know, LeafWire has gone through many iterations and Peter has done a really good job in kind of bringing it together and really just providing a space to connect investors and entrepreneurs in a very clean and logical way. And it seems very simple, uh, but there wasn't something that that was really out there that you can just kind of plug yourself in and connect to. Um, and so, you know, thought it was a really interesting opportunity, was a bit of a gap in the market, uh, and was able to roll that out this year. And we're excited to see that continue to, to build and grow. How much do you take cues from Angelus and what they've done there? You know, it's it's a good. It's definitely a good way to uh, frame how these businesses unfold, and you know what the trajectory can be. Um, there's some things that are much more specific to the cannabis industry, and when you think about uh, types of investors and the segmentation there, as well as the types of businesses and how those businesses are can be quite fragmented, you know, regionally specific. Um, and so there's there's a bit more of a nuanced approach when you look at what LeafWire is trying to do and how it's trying to connect investors and, and entrepreneurs. Uh, but definitely looking at platforms that are outside of cannabis are great cues. It's, you know, we have to learn from people who have done this before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Naval certainly ahead of his time uh, yeah. in, in, in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background and, and how you got to this point. Uh, experience with Privateer and Marley Natural for a couple of years. Kind of, you know, how did you find yourself, I guess, in this industry? And, and tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. those stories, if you would. Sure. So I was in business school when I started thinking about cannabis and I wasn't thinking about cannabis from a career perspective, but primarily because uh, or entirely because my grandfather, when I was in my second year of business school, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, And that was really the first time for me that I experienced someone so close to me in my life who was going through 
uh, cancer treatment. And he had stage four lung cancer, so it was it was a bit late in the process to be able to um, find a lot of alternative treatments, but something that I think a lot of people immediately do when they have someone in their life who has cancer is look at alternative forms of treatment because chemo does not suit everybody and often is not an option either, uh, depending on what stage you're in. So, uh, you know, as a family, we we looked at a variety of options and my, my mother, it was her father, and um, she immediately came across cannabis and we started looking at it more and, you know, cannabis had kind of swirled around me throughout my whole life, but it wasn't something that I actively was a consumer of or had really even thought about in a larger context. Yep. And so going through that process, I just, you know, I really started to look at, well, why don't people have access to this? Those people who are suffering, who just want comfort in the last stages of their life, why don't we have this accessible? Um, and the funniest kind of moment that I ever had with, with my mom in this process is when I got a text from her asking uh, myself and my younger sister if we knew where to get marijuana. And, <laughs> you know, this was kind of before we really knew she was looking at it. And it was kind of startling. And we were like, wait, is she testing us right now? Is this a trick? Are we, <laughs> we're probably a little too old for that at this point. Um, but also, you know, I think it was eye-opening for my parents to also think about things that when it comes to natural remedies and my family's from Pakistan and so homeopathic medicine and kind of natural remedies have always been a part of our life but we hadn't really looked at cannabis for anything so you know we went through that process with him unfortunately uh, cannabis couldn't be used for him all I knew how to get was black market cannabis and mm -hmm. in Ohio where I grew up and where my my parents and my grandfather lived um, and that was not something I would want to offer to somebody who has a compromised immune system and sure. had lung cancer so he couldn't smoke it either and there were no other forms that I knew of on, on how to deliver it to him so it made me go into just this research spiral on what is happening in cannabis why are we here why are we in this stage where we have this this illegal product that seems to be pretty helpful for people um, and then it was really just good fortune to be honest that uh, someone from privateer holdings reached out to me as they were starting to um ramp up their hiring they were in still pretty early stages i guess you know you think late 2013 early 2014 they'd finished raising their series a and they were building out their team um and thought that it could be the craziest thing I ever do and may result in me being unemployed not too long after, but <laughs> it also could be quite possibly the most interesting thing I ever do. Um, and it was something that I was passionate about. You know, I cared about the social justice element of it and just the the advocacy component of it, as well as the fact that there was this emerging market that who knew what could happen. Um, and, you know, it, over the last couple of years, the growth of the industry has accelerated far beyond what I thought would happen. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been really interesting to be part of it. You know, even it's funny because people will say, oh, you're a veteran and I've been in the space for five years. And right. that certainly doesn't <laughs> seem like it would qualify anybody to be a veteran. But in this space, we always joke it that really it's dog is. years, it right? Really you know, is. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, I spent a lot longer in finance before I came into cannabis and nobody would have ever called me a veteran in that space. Uh -huh. um, so it's, it's kind of funny. So that's how I landed here. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's just... 
uh, morphed and moved and changed since I've been in the space. And it's been really exciting to have the opportunity to get involved with a lot of different aspects of the industry. There's so many moving parts and, and different elements of it that I've been really fortunate to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. A great story. And yes, we, we are veterans in this industry, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. seems like a very funny thing, but so real. In fact, when I hear people tell me they have 20 years of cannabis experience, I think yeah. to myself, well, what were you doing for the first yeah. uh, fif- 15, <laughs> 15 years or exactly. so, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, they probably aside- can't tell you some of it. Yeah. Well, off the record, maybe off the record. So um, in addition to being the GM of Marley Naturals for a while, you see a lot of companies and a lot of brands. There's sort of this blue sky future of brands are going to save the day. That's where all the multiples are. Uh, Talk a little bit about brands and maybe some of the missteps or, uh, you know, misnomers about the future of brands in cannabis. Brands are interesting. When we started working on Marley Natural uh, in 2014, it was an interesting time because brands didn't really exist in cannabis. It was kind of a novel idea because cannabis had always traditionally been sold as the name of the strain or whatever the product was, but you didn't really slap a label on it. There wasn't really packaging. There was no quality control. Uh, There was no concept around the standardization, right? Because it was all being produced illegally. And then even when you moved into markets that had medicinal cannabis, like California, it was still a patchwork. So bringing brands to the industry was really interesting, but it was also interesting because it didn't click immediately with the consumers. Um, The way that we treat everything else in every other industry, that it's a brand, just wasn't the same in cannabis. And so it was a bit of a, you know, experiment when we we started doing Marley Natural. and and building that brand and having the benefit of leveraging an iconic name and known brand into a new segment, but something that was a very logical fit. Um, And you've only seen just acceleration from there. So many brands have developed now. And it's kind of funny because I used to be able to name all the brands in cannabis Mm -hmm. on two hands. And now there are dozens and dozens that I hear about. And every time I hear of one that I haven't heard of, I'm like, God, there's so many. I can't believe there are some that I have never heard of Mm -hmm. uh, because I've just spent so much time in the market and you're looking at all these different products. So it's interesting that brands have really started to grow over the last couple of years, but I I still think it's difficult. It might still be a little bit early to to really, I think, realize brand value because we're still figuring out the input side of the market Mm -hmm. where, you know, at the end of the day, cannabis will be a commodity. It'll be treated like a commodity, but just like wine or other spirits, you know, there are elements of it that people really care about the inputs and where it came from and how it was grown and who grew it and how the production was done. And then there are elements where the brand matters more. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't care as much about the ingredients, but you trust the brand because it's been around for decades or because your parents consumed it. And so we don't have that history yet within cannabis when it comes to brands. And for anybody who's ever built a brand, they know that it takes a really long time Mm -hmm. to create stickiness, to create loyalty. Um, I firmly believe that 
we haven't necessarily created what's going to be the top brand in cannabis in 20 years. Um, Absolutely. You know? yeah. And, and some of them, some of the brands now might merge together because it makes more sense and for efficiencies and become something else. Uh, some of them may fail entirely. And that's just uh, the stage that we're in right now. I, I think it's a saturated market right now, which is really interesting because I didn't think I'd ever say that there was a part of cannabis that is saturated so soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, you know, there, there's so many brands now that I don't know if people really understand how to differentiate. And it's so fragmented and regional yep. that that element is going to have to change over time. And obviously, federal legality, particularly in the U.S., will play into that. Uh, but you don't see brands at the scale that you do in the U.S. and other countries. Um, and so it's an interesting, uh, you know, that we have so many brands in the U.S., yet only certain populations can access them because of the fact that we can't cross state lines. Yeah, totally. Um, distribution is a huge bottleneck for these brands. You can't Absolutely. just throw a lot of money at it. It doesn't work quite that way. It's very relationship-based. Um we don't need more vapes. We don't need more pre-rolls, right? There are so many brands out there like that that can't get into the dispensaries that they need to. Is there yeah. a product that you want to see in the world that you think there's an opening, there's a hole? I am still curious about, I think, when we think about products that are more in the wellness category so less of the cookies or you know brownies or things like that but products that are more supplemental uh like beverage shots mm-hmm. uh, akin to like five hour energy or yep. um you know not necessarily pill format, but mint formats or things like that that are easy for people to take, not because they're trying to have, you know, this recreational experience, but because they're trying to do something from a wellness capacity. And so I think there's room in that market in particular or room for improvement on the products that are out there. Um, And I think some of that also goes back to just really being able to put resources into research around THC and CBD and then, you know, CBG and CBN and all of the other molecules that nobody Mm -hmm. talks about yet, uh, which are all of these fascinating molecules that are, are within cannabis that you know, haven't really hit the market yet because we don't know enough about them or because it's it's too early. And I think all of those will come out over time, but it really comes back to research and understanding efficacy and the impact that it has on uh, different people, with different metabolisms and different you know body structures and all of that because it, cannabis, the molecules of cannabis, just like anything, impact you in a different way. Um, And so I'd like to see, I think that that's still a gap. I think that we don't have enough information around it. And, you know, CBD is so hot right now, but most people don't really know what it is and couldn't tell you, do they need five milligrams or do they need 200? And you'll hear varying opinions, but they're mostly opinions. And I don't know the answer either. Uh, And then there's the whole debate over hemp versus cannabis CBD. And and yeah, it, how much snake oil is being sold in the world? <laughs> that's that's one of the yeah. big the big questions there, right? And I think California has taken some steps to mitigate that, but we'll see.
see how how all that comes together. Um, yep. Let's talk a little more globally. Um, what do you see? I, I don't know the right timeline. Five, ten years. Everybody's talking about South America and cultivation moving towards the equator. Do you agree with that thesis? Kind of give us your vision, if you would. I do think that the cost element of cultivation is going to be a huge factor in the direction of where cultivation is most prominent and, and natural factors, right? When you think about agriculture and um, where those markets have gone around the world, it, this isn't that different. However, what's interesting about cannabis to me is that it's a mix of so many different industries. So you have the agricultural component, but there's also uh, beverage, and when you think about wine and spirits, and then also just traditional CPG, and then pharmaceutical. So I think there's a need for different types of product grown in different places. So when it gets to more pharmaceutical, you will want a much more standardized product. And so indoor, I think, makes more sense for that, mm. to be able to have a very, very controlled environment, regardless of the cost aspect, because it has to be absolutely 100% you know, consistent as much as possible for, you know, a naturally or for a, a plant. Um, because there will always be variations there, but you can mm -hmm. try to standardize that as much as possible versus uh, other products where you don't need that you know, intense accuracy. So when you think about a country like Colombia that can grow at a fraction of what a producer in Canada, Canada can grow at, regardless mm -hmm. of whether or not they're doing greenhouse, there's just no way that you can cost compete. And that makes a very big difference. Now, the resources are imbalanced, right? Colombia is much smaller. Their ability to export and uh, perhaps leverage some of the benefits that maybe Canada has, you know, there are differences there as well. But I do think that all of those factors will start playing in and um, some will be more relevant to some industries while others, and I think more broadly, it's going to come into uh, who can reduce costs the most and produce more for the least amount. Yeah, I mean, I think the roadmap is there for Colombia and others. It's going to come down to execution, right? I mean, yeah. can Canada has certainly taken advantage of their early, uh, their early mover and and done as much as they could with it. We'll see if that happens other places, I suppose. Um, yeah. Let's switch a little bit. I love to sort of connect the work you do during the day with the kind of consumer that you are, um, both of information and cannabis, I guess. Mm -hmm. But le le let's start with, you know, how, how do you stay informed? Uh, like when you wake up in the morning, what, what do you read? Oh, man, I read everything. Uh, what's interesting is that now you can get information across every major platform. There used to be a point in time, which I'm sure you recall, where there were just two or three, or there were five, and now everybody reports on cannabis. Um, so I have the, the traditional sources that I think we go to, that are like MJ uh, Biz Daily and your new cannabis ventures, depending on what you're interested in. But I also read you know, the New York Times and Forbes that have really great coverage and uh, very informed journalists who are also engaged. Uh, and there's so many different topics too, right? It's political, it's uh, 
you know, just thinking about products. It lifestyle. Is, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Life's exactly. Mm -hmm. There's so many different areas that you can talk about cannabis. And so uh, not every platform is great at every single one of those types of points. You know, there's the, the kind of economic impact when you look at public stocks versus private, you know, investing. So uh, it's kind of information overload sometimes. It's I often joke that I just open like a hundred tabs on my computer that will stay <laughs> open for a week. And I always mean to get to these different articles. And then before you know it, they're outdated. So you just close yeah. them all and do it again. Yeah, um, I, I would be embarrassed to show you my browser and, and my oh, tabs, yeah. same way. <laughs> same Good, thing. I'm not the only one. I always, people look at my computer and they're like, what are you possibly doing with 100 tabs open? I'm like, I will read them someday. <laughs> and then, you know, a year passes and you're like, just kidding. I, that, that information is stale. That's um, but the industry moves so quickly, you know, and I just get all the phone alerts and all of that stuff, which is probably not healthy that you're constantly looking at it. But um, you know, information is just moving so quickly in the space. Uh, well, I, and then, wait, you know, you could do ahead. what most Americans do and just read the headline, right? And then totally. it saves, saves a lot of time. <laughs> but I also know how headlines can be very misleading. So uh, absolutely. It's, it's worth the effort to go into some of the detail and to see what they're really talking about. Yep, totally. Um, you said that early in your life, you, you weren't too focused on cannabis. You, you weren't really a consumer or maybe lightly. How has your relationship changed as a result of being in the industry? Yeah, so I'm actually not uh, a very active consumer um, when it comes to THC products. You know, I've I've tried everything um, uh -huh. by nature of being in the industry and wanting to understand it from uh, you know a much more thorough perspective. And I always joke that I I'm an aspiring pothead. But I'm not, um, you know. But I'm not actually because, um, you know, I wish I had the experiences that so many people have had, where the effects of on them are calming or creative or euphoric. Uh, I haven't really had those responses to various mm. products. Um, I tend to have the opposite reaction, where it makes me jittery or sleepy, which mm. is kind of the opposite of what I need. Uh, I also have respiratory issues so smoking or vaping and they're just not options for me so that kind of mm -hmm. eliminates products within the market um tried edibles i'm definitely one of those people who's had that story of that terrible edibles experience mm. which i mm. feel like so many people have had uh, but i'm always trying and learning you know the, the micro dosing or the very small dose of products are the ones that i migrate towards um and i'm also just really i'm looking at it a much more i think kind of nerdy perspective too and like what are the flavor profiles how are people producing it to uh, change the taste from not making it tastes too much like cannabis or you know this or the other what are the products that they're using to absorb um, so I look at it a lot from that perspective as well what's the packaging how does it maintain the certain product that they have um, you would laugh if you ever came to my home and saw all the products that I have that just kind of sit on my table and I have people come over and they take them. It's just, it's a free for all. Um, because I get to, you know, it's great. You get exposure to so many different brands and I work with so many different groups and um, I love to see what they're doing and we'll, we'll always try a little bit, but have not been too active on the THC side. But on the CBD side, uh, we'll take that regularly in different forms to see uh, just kind of self-experimenting on what suits me or what has had an impact. and you know, be it in tinctures or various oils. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's so many different formats. There's uh, the latest one I've been trying is a powder that you can put into any kind of beverage. Yeah. Um, 
bit of these things. I think some people see an immediate impact. Uh, I'm kind of gradually trying to see, you know, dosing. If you do five milligrams at a time and then 10 milligrams and 20, where does that that point happen? So it's kind of like my own self experiment uh, because I haven't really seen that information out there yet. Yep. You may be a great candidate for the beverages that are starting to come yeah. online. Have you yeah. tried any of those yet? Um, you know, I have a lot of the, or I've tried a variety of the waters um, mm-hmm. and, you know, have had like the CBD living water and there are all of these different beverages that are coming out. So I, I certainly try to grab those whenever I see them or um, you see new ones popping up all the time too. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how those evolve. Um, I have not gotten to the point where I'm, you know, going to the coffee shop and getting a CBD latte every day yet, um, <laughs> mostly because they can double charge me for right. just by having CBD in it. Um, and I'm not convinced that there's enough in there. And then but... you're at the counter like, is this hemp CBD or is this? Yeah. Ca- yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like, like we I have don't no know. idea. What's yeah. your they're name? Like, What's... I'll write it yeah, on the exactly. cup. <laughs> and they'll get, they'll get my name wrong too. So it's just like not worth it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, Tahir, this has been really wonderful. Thank you for being so open and sharing everything with us. Um, how can the audience help? It's, uh, it's your chance to plug anything you like. Are you hiring for anything or how can we help you know i think the best thing for the audience is is stay informed and ask questions you know i think that we're in a really interesting stage of cannabis right now where we've we've are starting to be more established but we're still very much in this early growth stage Um, and i think there's still a lot to happen you know i would still like to see more focus on social justice initiatives and uh equitable forms of um, application and licensing and everything across the country and across the world. And I think that we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of those issues as as capitalism moves forward. You know, it's great the industry is developing, but there's still all of these other underlying historical issues that I think we need to address. So I would encourage the audience to to do their diligence and ask questions and push for a lot of these other aspects that maybe um, are overlooked. Very well said. And thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely.